simple procedure, we talked about two things. We focused on in-rim specific personal jurisdiction, and we talked about strong-arm statutes. I've already mentioned strong-arm statutes, but I'm going to go over them today because that's what we focused on in our lecture today. Uh, I, like I said in the past, is I was trying to do both reading and lecture. I'm just going to focus these podcasts on the lecture of the day. Uh, so right now our readings are a little further ahead, but that's what we talked about in our lectures. So that's what I'm going to focus on. So in REM, it's important to note that this is still specific personal jurisdiction. This is another principle of specific personal jurisdiction. And the case that we're going to focus on for in REM is Schaefer v. Heitner. What in REM is, is it's jurisdiction over property. In personam jurisdiction is jurisdiction over a person and all their assets, and that actually includes their property. So the reason why I'm bringing up in rem is so that we can just introduce the principle, learn about it, and really know that we don't use in rem in practice anymore. My professor has emphasized so many times that 99.9 or 99.8, however much it is, of our cases that are going to deal with personal jurisdiction are going to focus on in-person personum jurisdiction, not in rem. And the reason for that is because of Schaefer v. Heitner. The court instituted a rule in this case, or rather implemented an old rule to in-rem contracts, not contracts, but claims as well. And so let's just discuss the facts briefly. And I think all of this might make a little bit more sense. So in Schaefer v. Heitner, the plaintiffs in this case are currently filing a suit in Delaware. So the forum state is Delaware. The plaintiffs are shareholders. And they're trying to make the defendants in this case stand up for some of their evils. Uh, the defendants in Schaefner own a business called Greyhound in Arizona. Their principal place of business is Arizona, and their activities are largely conducted in Arizona. However, there was an issue that occurred in Oregon where the plaintiffs, not the plaintiffs, the defendants, uh, were not performing good practices, good business practices, very unethical. They were trying to monopolize uh, and everything like that in Oregon and making their efforts in Oregon known. And so the shareholders were very distraught because it had a very negative impact on the shareholders. So the shareholders knew that they probably wouldn't win in Arizona because that's where the principal place of business was. They knew that they wouldn't win in Oregon, because uh, that's where the claim was. So they tried to go a roundabout way of finding specific personal jurisdiction, and they did so through a contact that the defendants might have had in Delaware. So the defendants in this case, even though the principal place of, bi- of business was in Arizona, they were incorporated in Delaware, and they owned stocks in Delaware. And stocks can be considered a part of property. So Instead of going for in personam jurisdiction, the defendants, the plaintiffs, tried to get in rem jurisdiction over the stock, saying, We have claim over the stock to gather damages for what the defendant in this situation had done. 
So the states in question are Arizona, Oregon, and Delaware. Those are the three states. The form state is Delaware. Had the plaintiffs filed in Oregon, they would have found specific personal jurisdiction. Had they filed in Arizona, they would have found both specific and general personal jurisdiction. But they're filing in Delaware and trying to claim that property through that contact. Now, the court here doesn't like this. And they decide that, no, you can't just take a contact out of a different state, not arising out of the claim, and use it to your benefit. So this contact, these stocks, had nothing to do with the issue that was going on in Oregon. And so there was no personal jurisdiction because the defendant had no contact in Delaware relevant to the claim that the plaintiffs made there. Consequently, there's no jurisdiction. They adopt uh, international shoe, the rule there where you need to have a contact relevant to the claim, and if that is not there, then there is no jurisdiction. So this really made NREM irrelevant because you can't just get jurisdiction over any property that you want in any state that you want. So that's really why you brought up NREM, but we don't use NREM anymore. It's just something that's important to know. Strong arm statutes, we've talked about briefly in the past. Um, a good case that mentions strong arm statutes is Busanen Restaurant Co. V. King. And this is about the trademark of the Blue Note. There was a Blue Note in New York and there was a Blue Note in Missouri. Missouri put up a website about the Blue Note and uh, the New York one had trademarked it, so they said, no, you can't do that. Take down your website. And when they didn't, uh, Blue Mark in New York ended up suing. The thing with the strong arm statutes is, yes, you need to follow the due process clause, but you also need to follow the statute that is outlined by the state, by the forum state. So here it's in a federal court because it's IP law and all IP law goes through in federal courts. And it's filed in New York, and New York has laws that limit the jurisdiction of the state. They need to meet certain requirements in order to find personal jurisdiction. What happened here is that the Blue Note in Missouri did not actually create a tort in New York. All the work was done in Missouri. There was nothing done in New York. So... There was no action uh, here, and even though they probably would have found personal jurisdiction through the due process clause, the strong arm statute limited the courts even more to where they couldn't find personal jurisdiction because of that statute that limited what the courts could do. So think of the due process clause as a big circle in the strong arm statutes, or in this case, a short arm statute as a little circle inside of that big circle. And the courts are only allowed to do what that little circle is, depending on the state, says that they can do. Some of the states say it can go as far as the due process clause allows, but other states make sure that it's small, like New York and Florida. They make sure that it's small and they're very restrictive 
on what kind of cases the courts can hear. And that's what a strong arm statute is. And federal uh, federal courts need to abide by those strong arm statutes in order to actually hear cases. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.